NPTE StudyCast. All right, welcome to NPTE StudyCast with Bridget Repo. We're taking a look at Bell's Palsy for the big test. Uh, Bridget, how, how would you describe Bell's Palsy? What is it? So Bell's Palsy is just unilateral facial paralysis. So it involves the muscles of facial expression on one side that are weaker or paralyzed. And this can also include loss of control of salivation. The onset is usually pretty acute with the maximum severity within a few hours or days. And it's commonly preceded by a day or two of pain behind the ear of that same side, but sensation remains intact. So most of these people fully recover in several weeks or months. It's kind of a, a quick, sudden onset. Anatomy. Essentially a lower motor neuron lesion involving the facial nerve, which is cranial nerve seven. The pathophysiology is it's still considered idiopathic, but it's believed to be caused by inflammation of that facial nerve. Differential diagnosis. What else could it be? Is there a differential diagnosis we can look into with uh, Bell's palsy? Yeah. So like I said before, it's defined as idiopathic and the cause is some sort of inflammatory process with the facial nerve, but all of that kind of remains uncertain. But a lot of differential diagnoses have focused on infection, specifically with the herpes simplex virus as a possible cause. Other things that are considered are structural lesions in the ear or the parotid gland, so tumors, things like that. And then other peripheral nerve palsies, such as Guillain-Barre syndrome, Lyme disease, sarcoidosis, and some of the influenza vaccines. But typically, it's easy to rule out some of these differentials because things like Lyme disease, the patient would have had a history of tick exposure or some sort of rash. And then tumors would present with a much slower or more insidious onset rather than, you know, so suddenly. And then you also have to consider just your central nervous system lesion. So MS, stroke, tumors could also cause this palsy, this type of palsy, this unilateral weakness. Special tests. Uh, how do you okay. prove it? What are the special tests? Uh, what sort of things do you bring in? So this is pretty much a clinical exam. You're going to look for symptoms with the muscles of the one side of that face. So drooping of the corner of someone's mouth, eyelids that don't fully close. And you're going to look at all the functions of the muscles of facial experience. Expression. So having the patient wrinkle their forehead, raise their eyebrows, frown, smile, close their eyes tightly and puff out their cheeks. So if they have any kind of asymmetry with those types of facial movements, then that would be something to consider. And then additionally, because the facial nerve is involved, uh, the facial nerve is responsible for taste on the anterior two thirds of the tongue. So if anybody is having some sort of change in their ability to taste, that could also be an indication. That's a sneaky one. I forgot about that one. It is. Treatment examples. Now, uh, what does a physical therapist do about it? Some treatment examples. Things to consider are that medications can be prescribed. So sometimes corticosteroids to calm down the inflammation of that facial nerve and then analgesics, which obviously we wouldn't be the ones prescribing, but that's just something to be aware of. As the PT, we want to protect the cornea. So that's something that I think that we don't necessarily think about is educate the patient to either use artificial tears or talk with the treatment team about the use of artificial tears or temporarily patching one eye until the patient's recovery allows for them to fully close their eye. And then also electrical stimulation to maintain tone and support function of the facial muscles. If you think about it, this is something that for a lot of patients is very much a cosmetic concern. Electrical stimulation to help assist with maintaining that tone and, and decreasing the 
the chance of atrophy of those muscles. And then we can provide the patient with active facial muscle exercises. So having them do basically all the things that you would do in the clinical exam. So wrinkling their forehead, raising their eyebrows, frowning, smiling, closing their eyes tightly and puffing their cheeks are all exercises that they could do. And then you also want to consider functional retraining. They may need to alter the types of food that they're eating for a little while, or they might need to chew with the opposite side of their mouth. And this is where you're really going to rely on your interdisciplinary team, like your speech language pathologist and your occupational therapist to kind of help with some of those recommendations. And then also just providing emotional support and reassurance that, you know, most of these people do recover in weeks, if not months. Got it. Here's your example question. Finally, how are we going to see this on the NPT? What's it going to look like? This is one where I think just knowing the symptoms of Bell's palsy is probably enough to be able to answer any questions that are thrown your way. Knowing if the question was something like a patient is referred to you with this diagnosis of Bell's palsy, which cluster of examination findings would you as the PT expect to find? This is where they could throw in a bunch of different options to maybe throw you off you want to keep an eye out for. The correct answer in this case would be decreased closure of one eye, drooping of the mouth, or inability to raise the eyebrow. But you could potentially get some answers thrown in there like ptosis, which would be more indicative of a Horner syndrome, other facial muscle weaknesses. So maybe they could throw temporalis or masseter muscle weakness at you, and that wouldn't be the case. So things like that. All right, well, that's all we need to know for Bell's palsy. NPTE Study Cast. Brewed by the PT Pinecast. Thank <laughs> you.